Why would I still want to live like the world lives? Why? Why would I want to be attracted by the things of the world when Christ has made me worthy to walk with the one who is the King of Kings? For those that are interested, the photograph is where Home and Away is filmed. Another opportunity for another Australian photograph. So we're going to come now to this portion again and we're going to look at the second and third of the points that I made. Let us stand firm in one spirit and with one mind strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. And then if time allows we'll move on to the third one um, for this, this morning. Don't be frightened in anything by your opponents. So the second point, that you are standing firm in one spirit. As Paul was writing to this church at Philippi, as we know it's the church that he founded, you can read of it in Acts chapter 16, he wanted to hear good things about this group of believers. And he wanted to hear that they were standing firm in one spirit. Now you need to notice that the word spirit is with a small s, it's not a capital S, so it is not a reference for them to be standing firm in the Holy Spirit, although that is important, but for them to be standing firm together as a group of believers there in Philippi in a spirit of unity. They need to be found in that place of oneness. And just as holiness, as we discovered from the first point, is an important trait within the body of Christ and in the life of the believer, so also we see from these verses is unity. Unity within the church, within the body of Christ, is essential. And Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17 these words, I do not ask for these only, that's the disciples, but for also those who will believe in me through their word. And this is what he prayed for you and me. He prayed that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So standing firm in one spirit is essential for the third point that Paul has made, that they may be with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So the second and third point are linked very much together. To be of one spirit and one mind because it is essential for the sake of the faith of the gospel. Now in the context of our church, in the context of our text, Paul is writing to a specific church. It's the church at Philippi. And he is saying to them, a locally gathered church, that unity amongst them was essential for the faith of the gospel. But although what he is saying here is to the church at Philippi, he's also saying it to the church universal. He's saying it to the whole of the body of Christ, whether in Philippi, Galatia, whether in Ephesus, or even here this morning in Gateshead. 
And I think that if Paul could stand here from this pulpit, as I said last week, he would have said to us, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So I'm only echoing what Paul himself would say. But if he could stand here again this morning, he would say, stand firm. Church in Gateshead, Emmanuel, stand firm in one spirit and with one mind for the faith or for the sake of the gospel. See, I think what Paul is expressing here is that for the sake of the gospel, we have to be willing to put to one side our personal preferences and seek to work in unity, to strive or work together as one in spirit so that all we do will be for the furtherance of the gospel, reaching souls so that men and women will be saved. For example, we all have different interests musically. We have may have different preferences for worship. We may have differences in the way that we personally might want to share the gospel. We may even have a different outlook concerning certain spiritual things. But despite these differences, besides these preferences, we need to be together. We need to be working together so that we can pursue harmony amongst us so that as the world looks on, or as we present a united front, the gospel and the winning of souls for Jesus will become the priority of each and every one of us. I could give some examples. We meet on a Wednesday morning. It's literally just for an hour, an hour and a half. And it's a coffee morning. There's no reading of the word. There's no preaching. There's no praying. It specifically is that the church is open with leaflets around the doors and we want that people will just come in and meet with us. And we can talk with them, converse with them. And out of that, perhaps, the opportunity to share the gospel. And so not every time he comes together has to be a service like this. Or a prayer meeting. Or a Bible study. We can meet in other ways for the sake of the unity of the faith of the gospel, to try to reach souls that are lost. Another example, once a month on a Sunday morning, we have what we call our family service. And yes, it is a little different from the other three Sunday mornings each month. We don't have communion on that particular Sunday morning. But the purpose of that family service is to be able to reach the family. It's the intention to hope that families will come in. And as they come in, we want to put aside our personal preferences for that one Sunday morning for the sake of our effort in promoting the faith of the gospel. And we need, as in showing these two examples, the coffee morning and the, 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 the family service once a month, we need to be examples to remain one spirit and one in mind because it is a part of our church's outreach. And we should be together on it with the purpose of reaching souls. 
And I readily admit, I wish we could see more families coming in and the families of our fellowship being more committed to being here regularly. And in regard to not having communion on that Sunday morning service, we have it the same Sunday in the evening. We don't miss it out. We don't lose out. We have it in the evening service, which everyone is still welcome to attend. See, we need to be one in spirit. We need to be one in mind on these matters for the faith of and the sake of the gospel. And Paul in this same letter, in chapter 2, writes this. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being what? By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then in verses 3 to 4 he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition. I shouldn't stand here today or any day and do anything out of selfish ambition. Everything that I do as a pastor in this fellowship should be for the body of Christ, for the sake of the gospel and for the glory of God. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. And so Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so when we come together as God's people, it's not about me, me, me. It's not about you, you, you. But it's about us, us, us. Together, united together, one heart, one spirit, one mind for the faith of the gospel. And I believe that unity in the gospel leads to help to protect the purity of the gospel. So we need always to keep to the forefront of our minds that what we are doing should always be for the faith of the gospel. Take note of the order that Paul has instructed. He says, standing firm in one spirit. So our spirits need to be blended together, each one of us. Then he says, so that with one mind, that is with the same intentions, with the same purpose, and with the same desire, we will strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, striving side by side paints a picture of a striving side by side paints a picture of us standing side by side, doesn't it? And, and I suggest that we stand together in such a way with our arms locked together. That's how linked we are by the Holy Spirit. And as we're standing side by side with our arms locked together, we can then move forward, step by step, with each other, and in step with the Holy Spirit. When we were watching the, the funeral coverage on the television for the late Queen Elizabeth II, I'm sure like me, if you watched it, there was so much that caught or grabbed your attention. But one of the things that caught my attention the most was the way that those who were involved 
in all that needed to be done were perfectly in step with each other. When you saw the soldiers, the navy and whatever else marching, I deliberately watched the feet. And as I watched their feet, I could see there was nobody out of place. They were of one mind. They were of one spirit. They were moving forward in step with each other. And it was essential to carry out their duties. And it was essential to ensure that everything ran smoothly and precisely. And the end result was that they did the Queen proud. And they represented our country and commonwealth to the rest of the watching world well. Well, so it is with the church. It is only as we work together in one spirit and work together with one mind that we can do our Saviour proud. Just as the soldiers did the Queen proud, we need to do our Saviour proud. Our Father proud. And at the same time, we will be good representation of our citizens to the citizens of this kingdom that we belong to another kingdom because we'll be representing Jesus well. Often when I've spoken about unity, I've made preference to a clock or a watch. And I love clocks and watches. I'm fascinated with them. And you know that with a clock or a watch, it's important that every part is working exactly as it should be. Because if one part fails, then the clock fails, the watch fails. And you look at it and it's going to give you false information. I remember when my grandparents gave to me their broken grandfather clock to have a go at repairing it. And I was only about 12 or 13 years of age and I was fascinated with anything mechanical. I would take it apart and put it back together. And so my parents took the clock home for me. I began to examine it. I began to disassemble it. And I just soon discovered what the problem was. One of the components within the grandfather clock had worn. It had weakened. And as a result, it affected the rest of the clock and the clock failed to do what it was supposed to do. It was to keep the time, it was to tell the time, and it was to show the time. And so I repaired the part, I oiled the clock, and I got the clock working again. Well, using that same illustration, let's make sure that together we are well oiled by the Holy Spirit of one mind and of one spirit standing firm so that we at Emmanuel Pentecostal Church will function well. That is, by living out the gospel, by telling out the gospel and by showing forth the gospel. See, right from the birth of the church, the pattern was set for the unity of the church. In Acts 4, verse 32, it says, Now the full members of those who believed were of one heart and soul. There was no issues between them. They were of one heart and one soul. The NIV says all the believers were one in heart and mind. 
And to widen the subject further, Paul often spoke uh, in his letters of the importance of unity or of our working together and standing firm. And, and we're familiar with the lengthy portions there in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But I'm going to read two other scriptures instead this morning. 1 Corinthians 1.10 and 1 Corinthians 16.13-14. And this is what Paul says. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And the other scripture, be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. And before we leave these two points, which I've only looked at very briefly really, we cannot move away without quoting those well-known verses from Psalm 133. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity for there the Lord has commanded the blessing life forevermore see this standing firm in one spirit and a being of one mind is foundational to the points that we have that are remaining we all know the saying united we stand divided we fall and it is applicable to the fight that we are involved in as we fight the good fight of the faith. For Paul continues with the next point after telling them to be united together. He says, don't be frightened of anything by your opponents. And I tell you that their opponents are against us so much today. Opponents of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are in a battle. The Christians at Philippi, at Galatia, at Ephesus, at Colossae, at Thessalonica, at Rome, whatever city you read of in the New Testament, they were in a battle. And the church throughout its 2000 history has been in a battle. We as individuals are in a battle. But thank God that we know the final outcome. The church will become the church triumphant. But we need to ensure that we do everything we can do as individuals and as the body of the local church here, Emmanuel Pentecostal Church, we need to make sure that we fight the good fight and we persevere to the end. Jesus said that he would build his church. And Jesus said that the gates of hell will not prevail against him. And we stand on that promise. But let's be sure of this one thing, that even, Jesus, even though Jesus has made that promise that the gates of hell will not prevail against him, and the devil knows that Jesus has made that declaration, he will never defeat the church, but he will still do all that he can to try to defeat and to destroy the individual believer. And so this is one of the reasons why it is essential that in coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that we place ourselves in a position of regular fellowship with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ. And I honestly believe, I really do believe this with all of my heart, that the more we spend in fellowship with other believers, the less the chance there is 
of us becoming frightened by the opponents of the gospel. And let's be honest and face up to the facts. There are probably more opponents of the gospel today than there has possibly been for a very long time. That's why I suggest that these verses we are looking at here in Philippi are so important for the wider church rather than just a few that are here on a Friday evening. See, as we're faced by the opponents of the gospel, we can either stand like startled rabbits when they are confronted with a set of car, highlight, car headlights and go into panic mode, or we can ensure that we are so established in the faith, having put been in a place of regular fellowship with other believers with whom we are standing firmly together in one spirit and striving together side by side with one mind that we will be ready to give an answer and to give a defence for the gospel or the reason for why we believe what we do. We need to not only know Jesus as our Saviour, it's good to know him as our Saviour, but we need to not only know Jesus as our Saviour, but we need to know his word. We need to be established in his word. We need, we need to know the truths of his word and the basis of what our faith is all about. In Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that when Jesus ascended, he gave ministry gifts to the church. He gave apostles, he gave prophets, he gave pastors, he gave teachers, and he gave evangelists. And then he informs the church why these gifts had been given. And this is what it says. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow, so that it builds itself up in love as Ephesians 4 12 to 16. Notice here that to get to the place which Paul talks about in our text of one spirit and of one mind we need to be built up in the body of Christ. It's essential, it's important and from that it means we need to be in fellowship with other believers. We need to come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. And then, Paul says, it is only then we will know what it is to be mature and not to be tossed about by every wind of doctrine. And that then leads to us being able to stand and not to be frightened of anything that comes from our opponents. <coughs> When I was a teenager in school, I think that the worst thing, put the picture up, I think that the worst thing I ever had to contend with as a Christian was the occasional person 
taking the mickey out of me because I went to church. Now this photograph is roughly 51 years ago. I was roughly about 12 or 13. Now, you can see that I've got a badge on there. Can anybody, don't enlarge it for a minute, can anybody see what it says on that badge? No? But my school friends could see it. Enlarge it. It's a homemade badge. Smile, God loves you. I wasn't ashamed of the gospel because it was the power of God that had saved me. And so I'd been to the motor show with my grandfather. When you go to the motor show, it was in Earl's Carlton, Earl's Carlton London in those days. And they used to give you all these freebies and everything. And I had this badge, which was a badge to do with um, advertising some car manufacturer. And so I had one of these, you know, these little things you could make labels on. And I made my own little sticker, put it on there. Smile, God loves you. And I could wear that. And I would perhaps in the school, this was my secondary school, I would probably only get one or two from that school that would mock me for wearing that badge. Everyone else respected the fact that I was a Christian and I stood up for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But my, how things have changed. Fifty odd years later, perhaps, I don't know if anybody does wear a badge to school, if I was in school today and wore that badge, I would guess that the majority would take a mickey out of me. I would be persecuted or whatever else it might be. Because today there are so many opponents to the gospel. We need to be in fellowship. We need to be being built up together. We need to be in that place where we can encourage one another because the opponents are going to become greater because we're going to become a minority in this nation the way things are turning the people are not going to want us they don't want our faith faith they don't want what we stand for and we're going to have to be willing to stand firm in the spirit and in one spirit and in one mind to stand up to defend the faith the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in which we're living in. And wearing that badge, as I've said, one or two would have mocked me. But today, it would become the hotbed of debate. What on earth are you wearing that for? And that's why we cannot be tolerant towards anything that is clearly not the truth. Because those who tell us to be tolerant are not tolerant to us. They can voice, they can say whatever they want and we have to accept it. But we're told that we can't talk about Jesus. We can't talk about marriage between a man and a woman. They're never going to stop me. They're never going to gag me. Because I believe in standing on the principles that are found in the word of God. So we need to be ready to stand up against those who are opponents of the gospel. We see the opponents of our faith undermining Christian values. We see them undermining moral values. We see other religions undermining the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, they are undermining the truthfulness and the trustworthiness of the gospel. And our opponents are all around us. They're in the religious world. Sadly, they're even within the church. Even this morning, I've read of an individual in a Bible college in the United Kingdom who has been suspended because he spoke out about homosexuality. What is the world coming to? What is the church coming to when we can't stand upon the truths that are found in the word of God? It's even in the secular world, it's in the educational system, it's in the schools, the colleges, the universities, it's in the authoritative system, it's in the government, it's in the judicial system. And so we're going to have to stand up against them to defend the purity of the gospel and to defend our faith. Because if we don't, if we don't, what is going to happen is that they're going to continue to erode what we believe in and inject their poison into every single strata of society till it will become like a poisonous chalice that every person will have to drink from. We have to stand for. We have to speak out. We have to make the truth be known because those who hate the gospel are hating it in a way that they've never hated it before. Let's be of one heart. Let's be of one mind. Let's stand together to defend the gospel. Let's be in harmony for the sake of the gospel so that together we will be encouraged to stand firm in this day in which we're living in. The next two that we're going to look to says, Know that it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for him. We're called to suffer for the gospel. And then Paul finishes, be engaged with the same conflict that you saw I had and still have. Paul didn't have it easy. He wrote this letter from prison. He was defending the gospel from prison. We never know what lies ahead, but we know the one who is in us. And greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. Amen.